0: This is Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm Alex Wood, not your regular host for our weekly podcast. Uh, Alex Ballinger, who is is away on holiday this week. So I'm standing in and taking you through some of the biggest stories and events that have happened in our city from the last week. So before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. You can rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, remember, you can follow us on Twitter and join in on the conversation by tweeting at IBLPodcast, or you can find me personally at Mr. Alex Wood. So, this week, who have we got on the podcast? Well, we've got some really exciting guests for you lined up for the show, some of which will be making their first ever appearance. So, first up will be Hannah Baker, and she is our business editor here at Bristol Live. She is going to be talking to us about the role what it entails and what it's like being one of the last few remaining journalists here in our newsroom to write content exclusively for our newspaper as well as the website. Next up, we'll be speaking to news reporter Bronwyn Weatherby, a bit of a regular on the podcast, and this week she has been finding out about the preparations going into Bristol's Grand Iftar Ramadan celebrations. So what is that? Well, that's an event that's been organised to give the local Muslim community here in Bristol an opportunity to break bread With their wider community. Similar events are being held across the country to promote and celebrate unity within the community, but Bristol's event, interestingly, which will take place in St Mark's Road in Easton, is set to be the biggest, with more than 3,000 people attending. And then finally, last but by no means least, we have Esme Ashcroft. She'll be popping into the studio this afternoon to talk about all things podcast, which might seem a little bit odd coming on a podcast to talk about podcasts, but Esme has recently launched Bristol Live's new political podcast, which is called Never Mind the Ballots. This is a brand new hour-long show. It guides you through the world of Bristol's political scene and all the goings-on at City Hall. She's going to be talking to us about that, as well as some of the podcasts she listens to, and why an increasing number of news organisations, ourselves included, are launching podcasts. Let's get on with it. Let's jump into our first conversation with Hannah Baker.
1: I'm Hannah Baker. I'm the business editor of Bristol Live and Bristol Post.
0: Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> this is your first time on Inside Bristol Live. Yes, that's right. And welcome. Um yeah, if you want to kick it off, why don't you tell us uh, what is a business editor? For anyone that is listening, for our readers, even to people in the newsroom who maybe don't deal with you as much as they might other reporters, what is the role and what does it entail?
1: It's a very varied role. Um, <laughs> So I spread across print and online, which I'm one of the very few people that do that nowadays. So I write for the Business Channel on the Bristol Live website. I also look after the business section of the Bristol Post, which comes out every Wednesday. And I also look after another business website called Southwest Business, which is a business-to-business website, um, which I post on daily.
0: Fantastic. So it's slightly different, I suppose, from the other reporters who, by and large, now in the newsroom it's a digital-first publication. So we're taught very much about writing for the website, and then if it gets used in the paper, that's kind of an added bonus. When you're sort of splitting content or doing writing for the paper, do you have to bear that in mind in terms of how you tailor certain articles? Does that factor in in how you do it? Yes,
1: definitely. The content that I write for the business section is very much for a business audience so uh, people who are reading that generally um, will have uh, their own business or maybe they they work within a business or are senior level within a business whereas the content for the website that I write although it's on the business channel it's more consumer focused so the stories will be about maybe job losses in Bristol or big shops shutting down that sort of thing.
0: Do you have different deadlines as a result of that? Because I've had a very very brief stint not here, but at a previous paper where I was doing some of the business section and it was kind of a shock to the system that you suddenly have a paper deadline. I think it was a Wednesday that it went in and we always had to have everything by sort of Tuesday midday. And that was a bit of a shock to the system. I mean, do you have to bear in mind different deadlines when you're doing it?
1: Yes. So the business section comes out every Wednesday. And that means I have to have everything ready by the Tuesday. So my week usually starts really on the Wednesday once the papers come out. And then I start planning again for the next week, uh, gathering content and looking ahead to what I can put into the business section. At the same time, every day I'll be looking for new content for the website for the business channel. But those will be more consumer focused stories. So I may have one story that comes into me say a press release and i'll have to write it in one way for the business section and in another way for the bristol live website
0: not so, easy <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> got to really t- tailor it for those different audiences yeah. and when we just when we talk about business <clears throat> and business stories because as an as a news reporter i suppose we we cover businesses or certainly people that have issues that affect their business maybe a, pot- how, a pot- how at the front and it's affecting them where does the line where does it go from news And where does it cross into suddenly the business side? Because I suppose we work closely, but they're very different in what the end product is.
1: I think there is a lot of crossover, actually. And sometimes... Perhaps a news reporter might argue that it's more of a general news story. But if it's a a big organisation based in Bristol, say Airbus or another company that's very well known in the area and something significant is happening within that organisation to its people or its management or to the organisation itself, then I would argue that it's a business story. The same goes for shops shutting down, which quite often would fall under what's on, Uh, but I would argue that because the shop's shutting down, it's no longer what's on, it's mm-hmm. what's not on. <laughs> yeah, see, that's
0: very true. So you've got to have those sort of negotiate. So th- with... there are
1: there are lines, but um, I think just having an open conversation with the people in the newsroom and, and saying what I'm doing and I'm finding out what they're doing. Um, and it, it always seems to work out, so it's fine.
0: That's brilliant. And, and do you ever have any issues arising from, um, obviously you work closely, as you just mentioned, with some of the big businesses uh, in the city and it's similar, I suppose, with advertising. They work with, um, big businesses uh, who advertise with us. And then obviously news reporters, which is editorial, in theory aren't affected by those commitments um, or advertising that they take out with us. But does that ever present an issue from a, if you do perhaps do a big feature on a business, the business section? And it then doesn't present
1: any issues or not any that I've come across so far. It could do. But I also have a very close relationship with the commercial team because there is a lot of content that goes into the business section that is sponsored content. Mm-hmm. So another part of my job, really, is working with the commercial team on events and sponsored content. So we might be delivering an event such as the the Business Awards, for example, and then in the run-up to those awards, I'll provide a um, copy in the newspaper mm-hmm. and occasionally put something online in, on Bristol Live. But I have to be aware that there will be sponsors um, who are paying a lot of money um, to sponsor those awards and they will be also providing content. So they send in copy to me Mm -hmm. and that goes in the newspaper. Uh, But on the event side as well, a lot of it is going to these events and and networking with people, not only sponsors but other business leaders in the city to build relationships within the business community so that when there is a story that people will come to me.
0: I was going to say that's... Bread and butter for I suppose, any journalist is is fostering those relations. Yeah. But obviously as business editor, does that involve actually going out of the office a lot and having those networking events and meeting people and building those face-to-face relations? Is that quite a large It's a part really of it? important
1: part of the job actually because it's important for me to know what the business community wants to be reading about as much as anything and also developing relationships so that people, like I said, do come to me when something happens, especially if it's a big, significant business in Bristol and something happens that could impact the city more widely. I have quite good relationships with a lot of um, PR agencies who look after these big organisations as well as the people within the organisations, though. So generally it's been fine.
0: And and the business, it covers, you know, the big the big companies in the city. But I've also seen stories written by yourself that feature, you know, perhaps smaller mm. or startups. Um, and is that something that you sort of are keen to ensure that coverage, you know, entails the entire sort of Bristol business community? Definitely.
1: Bristol is a thriving hub of business and enterprise. And there are a lot of small businesses and micro businesses in the city. A lot of organisations come to Bristol actually to start up, which I've discovered since being in Mm -hmm. this role. And it's really interesting. There's a huge, huge tech hub here. And there are I'm guessing thousands of businesses in the city that are that come to Bristol um, for that reason, because of the um, incubators that are in the city to help the funding that's available, and yeah, those businesses are really and really important to the growth of the econ- economy in the region. So mm-hmm. yes, definitely fostering relationships with those businesses is, is as a, equally as important.
0: Absolutely, and and what else is it about then in Bristol? Because I've read I've read in in some of your coverage and and generally about this tech explosion and and startups that are sort of cropping up almost every week. Uh, they sort of move out of London, and mm. this seems to be the next best place for them to go. Is there something in the people in the exchanges you've had with people that they're telling you that there's a particular reason for that, or does it it vary depending on the type of business and?
1: It, it does vary on the type of business, but a lot of people have said to me. It's the skills on offer here, being in a city with two extremely good universities and the people coming out of those universities and the skills that they have, the talent in the city uh, is a a big key driver for organisations moving here. Also, because there are so many other tech businesses here, that's what attracts smaller firms. Because being in a city where there are a lot of incubators and tech hubs, and being around other businesses where they can perhaps learn and grow, that that's important to them.
0: Mm. Big businesses mm. um, tend to have their own in-house PR yeah. teams, uh, sometimes uh, or press offices, and sometimes they can be, uh, from a news point of view, quite sometimes difficult to deal with. Um, They might see a story as being a different angle to yourselves. And you need to obviously work closely with them if you're doing a story on a business. And businesses invest quite heavily in some of their PR companies. Why is it that a business, maybe even a startup, um, why is it important that they continue to turn to media such as ourselves and other organisations to promote what they're doing when they're investing so heavily in PR?
1: I think when organizations start out uh, it's a quite hard decision for them to take on a PR person and a lot of them can't afford to at the early stages but they realize the benefits of communicating what they're doing to the wider public it's really important for them to get the exposure Mm -hmm. so a lot of them are also aware at the same time it's worth the investment but equally if I'm really open to people just coming directly to me. Um, But it's more getting the word out that I'm here and I'm really open and happy to talk to small businesses. So I'd uh, be really keen for people to get in touch and tell me their stories. Because for me, I'd like to showcase as many of Bristol's success stories as possible, really.
0: So if anyone listening to the podcast from the business community who's got a little story they want to share with you, get in touch. Um, Fantastic. And also, um, I was going to talk just generally about sort of changes in our industry and sort of now we can tell more than ever what our audience would like to read, certainly from a news angle and I assume in business as well. Um, I mean, is there, in, in your opinion, you know, still a healthy demand for business type stories, particularly within the business community?
1: Definitely, especially because there is that commercial tie-in and gone are the days where editorial and commercial was completely separate. Uh, I think actually it's important now that we work well together and have those relationships because, uh, at the end of the day, a lot. It's important that people do advertise in the, in the newspaper, and I have seen actually over since being in this role um, a real growth in the number of adverts that I've seen in the business section, which has been interesting right. in the type of adverts, which is which is good. So it, it does interest me that that people still want to uh, have display advertising, but it, it's seems to be a popular still and businesses i guess are very much interested in or always going to be interested in their industry and what else is happening out there Absolutely. so i can't really see that changing no well, let's hope not um, <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> and um obviously you've been very busy well, you're always very busy but um you were mentioned just before we start recording about some of the projects that you've been working on at the moment are there any that you happy to share with us? that Yeah, sure.
1: yeah. it sort of it follows on really from this uh, idea of working with commercial as well. But um, I've been working with the video editor, Chris Nichols, and we've been going behind the scenes of some of Bristol's most interesting businesses, and there are hundreds, thousands in the city. But for example, we went to the Bristol Old Vic last week and they are doing a huge amount of construction work and they very kindly gave us a sneak preview of what they're doing. We went in and filmed behind the scenes. I spoke to the commercial director to see why and how they are changing their business model, really, to remain sustainable for the future. And he explained to me about the importance now of of keeping the theatre as the central core, but having to commercialise the business. Obviously the Bristol Old Vic is a it's ancient yeah. theatre in the city and very well well known and much loved. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But we that was very exciting. We got to film um, all these different areas and yeah, and um, see what they're doing. Um, and we're also planning to go to Bath Brewery. There's uh, it's between Bristol and Bath and they've opened a new brewery, St Osle Brewery have opened nearby. <laughs> And we're going behind the scenes there to see how they, what they do and how they manufacture their ales. A few free samples
0: maybe (laughs) Maybe. as well. (laughs) And um, interesting that you mentioned Chris as well, um, who is instrumental, I suppose, to all of the way we work now. um, Plays a really pivotal role in the newsroom. And hopefully in the coming weeks, Chris is going to be on the podcast to talk exactly about that. But is video, you know, we know how important it is to news coverage in Bristol. Is it, Becoming as well, you know, an important factor in how you tell business stories?
1: Well, it's not critical, but businesses are always interested in, in that aspect. And it is really I- important for the content we put on the website because I think it brings a story to life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the uh, the content I write for the business section, not all of it even goes on the website anymore, which is... Unusual these days. In the past, a lot of people, corporates, will create videos of you know their their management team just standing in front of a camera, talking about the business. And they don't work those videos. No. And it's trying to make people understand the different ways we can showcase their business without having to have some senior executive just talking about why their company's so great because it puts people off. Which is sort of was the other reason we wanted to do this behind the scenes series because it's another way to showcase business and organisations in the city in a more interesting way.
0: Thank you very much for being on the show.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, certainly an interesting conversation there with Hannah and I certainly feel like I've learnt one or two things about what a business editor actually does in our newsroom. So thank you to Hannah for coming in and giving us some of her time. Up next, we've got Bron, Bronwyn Weatherby, one of our news reporters here, and she has been very busy this week. Uh, popped down to Eastern to see the preparations being made for the Grand Iftar celebrations. Wondering what that is? Well, Bron is here to explain. How many times have
2: you been on now? Is this my fourth time? Fourth time? Possibly
0: bit of a regular now you've got I a know. lot to uh, a lot going on in Bristol you and can't a lot get to say me off of this
2: podcast oh,
0: I love it um, <laughs> from, what have you come on to talk about this week
2: I'm talking about the Grand Iftar celebrations that are going on in Easton, which is an area of Bristol. It's quite exciting. They did it last year. For anyone who doesn't know what a Grand Iftar is, it's something that Muslim communities are doing in lots of places across the UK during Ramadan, which is a month of celebration where people of the faith fast during the day. And the word Iftar is for the breaking of the fast every night of the 30 days that they're fasting. The Grand Iftar is an event that they're putting on, a celebration whereby they invite everyone from their community to come and break the fast with them. Not that you have to have fasted that day, but it's a way of, it's more of a celebration of unity, uh, cohesion, bringing the community together, getting people to understand more about the, the faith and what Ramadan is. And generally just, you know, foster good feeling between people of different cultures and faiths.
0: It sounds like a great event. And am I right in thinking this is going to be possibly one of the biggest? It is the biggest. It's the biggest.
2: So last year, possibly the year before, but I definitely think last year I was told it was the biggest street party in the UK. That's incredible. So across the country. And this year, you know, hopes to be the same. They're expecting up to 3,000 people. This one road, um, it's St. Mark's Road in Eastern. It already looks fabulous. Like, I, I was there yesterday watching the preparations. Um, they carpet the road. They put lights up. You know, they have bunting. Everyone is hard at work cooking all the food. I mean, there's there's loads going on, and it's on that road as well uh, you've got one of eastern's mosques which is a beautiful building it's all gold and and that that's just going to look stunning as well on the road whilst everyone's gathered round eating and breaking bread together
0: it sounds incredible so you got the carpet laid out on the road mm. they're closing the road i take it then for, closing for this closing the road yeah. completely yeah that's safe it <laughs> yeah. sounds like and and so you can gather there and uh, chairs and tables are all yeah. set up and everyone just comes together and enjoys food and unity and cohesion is that it's
2: it's as simple as it sounds um the community have worked extremely hard so it's not simple in that (laughs) sense you know it's taken months and months of planning but on the night it's just they've just put the word out anyone and that really is anyone as well you know you don't have to be from eastern i'm from south bristol well i live in south bristol so across the river and i'm going uh because also i i went on Tuesday, like I said, and I was like, I have to come to this. It's going to be amazing. Anyone of any face, you know, you could be agnostic and you could go. Anyone of any culture, they're very welcoming. They just want people to come eat food, enjoy the music, enjoy the company. There's no, you know, there's no onus on learning anything as such, but just being there, soaking up the atmosphere, being with people from all different walks of life. Will simply be a learning experience anyway, you know, yeah, be, no. yeah, broadening people's oh, I, horizons. I
0: agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you, when you came up from the office or when I saw you on Wednesday and you were talking about it, I felt like I was just learning a, a lot about it just from you yeah. and what you
2: were telling me. Well, so I was learning. Yeah, I was learning sounds. something as well. I learned on that day. I learned... When I came back, you know, I was writing the story. Um, there were certain aspects of Ramadan that I wanted to check with people that I'd met. Um, the council, councillor Assal Shah helped me a lot because, you know, you want to get things like that right. That's absolutely someone's religion and their culture. You don't want to write a story that <laughs> contains <laughs> yeah. inaccuracies about Certainly that. Certainly not, no. Yeah, so I was just trying to put some information about that in a simple form that I understood. And I thought other people would understand in the story so that it gave some context to it
0: absolutely and, and i think you you already touched on it as well but this is an event that anyone can attend you know you don't have yeah. to be of uh, the muslim faith or practicing any religion in fact yeah. they want as many people to come along yeah any part of bristol even beyond if you wanted to come to it but it's about bringing everyone together and enjoying a nice evening uh which happens to be, you know, the Grand Iftar. Yeah,
2: um, I spoke to quite a few people, a couple of the owners of Sweet Mart, which is a food shop basically selling lots of Asian food and spices and mm. it's amazing in there if you get a chance <laughs> if you live in Bristol. It's it's great. One of the things they were saying was they want to show the better side of Islam. You know, there's so much in the news day in, day out. Uh, and they acknowledge that as well. They acknowledge that there is you know, I guess the bad side or the people who manipulate the religion to their own gain. Yeah. And, but, you know, 99.9% of people practice this peaceful religion in a way that harms no one. And they show this. People across the UK are doing grand iftars. People in America do them. It happens in lots of different countries. And the point is to show how peaceful it is because these people... Are as equally a part of our community as anyone else's, and they just want to sh- show that and promote that and break down those barriers. I think it was um, the businessman and activist Desmond Brown. He he's really well known in Bristol. If you're listening to this podcast and you know not from Bristol, but he was saying one of the hardest things to do. Is to break down barriers or make plans how to do of how to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a simple task, is it? Let's go and break down those barriers. But (laughs) something like this, a street party where everyone's invited, again, there's no onus on Lynn anything. Just come along, have something to eat, yeah, and And leave. (laughs) You know, is much more effective than people realize. So it's a really important event, and I'm I'm very excited to be going.
0: And is it? Would you say? You know, it's, it's absolutely critical that. A newspaper or, or a news website that we are mm. should be, you know, covering events like this mm. um, as we would any other type of event in the city. It's a huge scale, you know, something that we should be showcasing. You, as, you
2: hit the nail on the head there. Um, it's an event like any other. This is a huge street party. This is a huge event in a, in a part of Bristol uh, that even taking out, you know, the religious aspect, yeah, yeah, yeah. we would cover. We'd cover it as an event because it's, it's a huge deal. And it brings lots of people together. Mm-hmm. Add in the fact that it has the importance that it does to the the community, and in public affairs at the moment, mm-hmm. everything that's going on, then of course it's something. Of course it's something it we'd cover. High. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's extremely important to do that.
0: And other media involved when you went down with the preparations this week is yeah it like i you're... think a lot
2: of i i'm not sure but when i was down there no one else was there and uh, that's not to say they hadn't <laughs> been been down i know um you know bristol 24 7 covered it mm-hmm. last year so i think this is definitely something that media should be interested in
0: i mean the reason i was asking about you know questioning why it's important we should be there because mm. it's a no-brainer on paper this is a massive event You know, and the Muslim community, but for Bristol, and you've made absolutely clear. But despite that, there seems to be an element of our readership online, at least, Mm. who don't agree with that suggestion. Who would and have suggested we shouldn't be reporting Mm. on this, and people are entitled to their own opinions, but they're, you know, they're, they're posting these publicly in response to your yeah. story. And you've you've seen some of these since you posted an article this week about the preparations. Yes, I yeah, have, yeah. They've struck a chord. I mean, do you want to just tell us about Yeah, a, a reflection of the comments you've seen?
2: Well, I mean, going back to what you were saying about the event, first of all, traditionally speaking, and this is unfortunate, but it is also true, traditionally speaking, uh, people from the, you know, Asian, Muslim, also black communities in Bristol haven't seen the Bristol Post newspaper and now Bristol Live from Online as their publication, like other parts of Bristol and other communities and cultures do. Uh, and that's something uh, that you're, you know, you yourself as a reporter are fully aware of that we are trying to tackle because, you know, as a paper, you want to be as representative of your community as possible. Otherwise, you're not doing your job properly. Mm-hmm. And so that's one reason to cover These events. And that's also why maybe some of our readers might be a little more shocked when we have started covering these events because maybe in the past we haven't. But because we weren't doing that before, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean we shouldn't do it now. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, the comments on the story. There's always a debate whether we put comments on the story. Of course, comments on a news site can be anonymous because you make up a username we often have conversations about the comments at the bottom of stories don't we because they can be quite disheartening we obviously monitor them to the best of our ability and the system does that to a certain extent as well people feel they are able to make more prejudicial comments when they're anonymized you get some bad comments on facebook but nowhere near as badly as you do on the website because Mm -hmm. it's under an account what i would say is in regards to this particular story, what, what seems to be the positive swing that comes out of it is normally um, comments will under a story will follow a similar vein. So they'll all be people having a go a, about a certain community and that's really sad. Whereas that's happened on this story, but an almost equal number of people have defended. They've come back. Yeah, they've come back and sort of pointed out the flaws in. Mm-hmm. In the arguments, I mean, for those of you who, are, who aren't going to bother going on the story to look at the comment section, one comment said, we're not allowed to uh, say happy Christmas to each other or Merry Christmas to each other in this country anymore. You know, I read that and sort of laughed out loud in, in the newsroom and I thought, I have never heard of that. I no. mean, that would be a news story. You know, if you <sighs> have if you have had that experience, then that is something that, you know, equally is abhorrent, but yeah. that's not something I'm aware of, nor anyone I know no, it um, goes on. Be,
0: it doesn't seem to be <laughs> no. based on any truth and has exactly. no bearing right. in relation to your story.
2: Yes. And just because you, I think this idea of, you know, because they're having a community event to celebrate a day of Ramadan um, and to bring the community together does not take away from any British traditions or British no. events or, I, I say British, you know, <laughs> traditionally speaking, yeah. everyone's free to to do these events Absolutely. and to, you know, make these community events and bring people together for the celebrations they want to bring together. It doesn't detract from anything. It's meant to add something to our society. And when you start looking at it like that, you know, they're not, they're inviting everyone along and we could, you know, anyone could do the same. They've just gone the effort of doing it and because Mm. it's something they're proud of and they want to celebrate and they want to educate people about.
0: And as a reporter, obviously comments are often on the bottom of our stories. Some of us um, do look in those comments just to see how it's been received. Uh, And sometimes, you know, it's not always received particularly well. Do you think we as reporters or as a publication should be challenging those comments? Because you mentioned we have a system in place for any, you know, hopefully Uh, you know, obscenities or swear words and abusive comments there that can be reported and can be dealt with without our involvement. Mm. But do you think when you see a comment like that, maybe you're slightly disheartened by it, do you think we have a responsibility to go onto that platform and challenge them? Or do you think we should maybe perhaps not encourage that when it's not even a healthy debate to have?
2: I mean, that's a difficult question. Uh, On the website, I've tended not to because it requires creating a username and and being yourself anonymous unless you're going to declare who you are every time which i guess could be a way of doing it i i certainly have a conversation with people over social media if i get tweets about certain stories replies to certain stories on twitter i will have that conversation with someone equally on facebook the website is a tricky beast Mm -hmm. um there, There is a debate at the moment going on between the reporters and the news desk about whether we should have comments on those stories anyway. You know, stories where we think could inflame any type of prejudice purely because you can't always monitor everything that's going on. Mm. And you're not always going to get the backlash from people who think differently. If there's a debate going on, I almost think that's helpful. You know, like, I don't like the comments that are under the story it is disheartening to me like I've said but in this case there are people who think differently lots of different people having a conversation calling each other out on things Mm. that they think are inaccurate or giving a different argument to it and that might actually be helpful to people who otherwise didn't haven't heard that side of the argument that's a positive way of looking at it um but unfortunately that doesn't always happen um you know i've i've published articles before and that debate hasn't been had it's just been the same opinion Mm -hmm. again and again for 40 comments and that is unhelpful because it's like an echo chamber you know Mm -hmm. it's just people reiterating the same point Mm -hmm. so it is a conversation i think if I think to point out to people, if if anyone's a reader of of Bristol Live, um, listening to this podcast is, this isn't something that we take lightly, this is a conversation that we're having daily, and that we're very aware of. And it affects us as journalists, as it does readers, and the people who we're writing about. We are human beings at the end of the day, and we don't want to see people talked about in that manner, you know, so... If people have concerns, they should write to us, Absolutely. and you know because we are having those conversations, we are aware of the issue.
0: Yeah, and there are, and of course there are, there is a means it, on the website itself where if you are unhappy with a particular comment, mm. you, you can report it, and that flags it up and it can then be removed. But yeah. um, but I think yeah, I think you're right. Where in this case, we have seen one or two comments that are, of, are quite disheartening to see. They've been called out and they've been challenged, and it's led to a a debate of sorts. Um, and that is quite encouraging. I mm. think that. Other readers have recognized you know we don't reflect those views and no one else seems to in society and we don't there's no place for them so it's yeah. good to see that you I mean, haven't had to step in and make that
2: yeah, I mean this all ties in with um, you know obviously we're that we're, we as a publication are a part of the year of change that's going on in Bristol and and so you know no one as a reporter is setting out to be divisive. none of us do despite some accusations and comments that I've had. You've written this to be divisive. Um, that's never, you know, I don't know any of us who would set out to be divisive like that, particularly not, you know, trying to stir up anything racial. We, we do monitor comments. We have that discussion about whether comments should go on or off. There are ways of reporting it. And um, if people are concerned, then email us. You yeah. know, we're, we're open. We can, we're there to talk to and we can have that, that you know, Absolutely. conversation with you.
0: And you mentioned there about um, you know this assumption that perhaps Bristol Live hasn't always Bristol Post traditionally wasn't as uh, inclusive as it as it could be, Um, but you know there is this year of change campaign. There are efforts being made uh, now more than ever to to address that. Um, Do you think you know reporting when you went down to see the preparations at the Grand Iftar conversations you had um, were they aware of that context of? The background that the Bristol Post has had, or was it just for them? You know, you're a reporter covering their event. Yeah. Was it? Is that? Was it?
2: I think it's a bit, a bit of both, and it's a bit of both for me as well. You know, I'm a relatively new reporter here. Uh, it'll be a year this, this month actually. <laughs> happy yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm, a, I'm certainly aware of it. it wasn't when I started, but you know, you get to know people around the community, and they'll point these things out to you. Of course, the year of change has brought, has brought that up as well people in these communities are aware of that context because it's them who it affects the most but i think a lot of people are, are like we are trying to open up and reach out and work together more mm-hmm. and move forward with it of course there's going to be people who don't think that's going to work or feel like we have an agenda um w- you know all we can do is try our best to get across that we're trying to be as in- inclusive as possible and want want to talk to them and want to report on their community I went down yesterday I had lovely conversations with everyone I met and the focus was talking about this great event that's going on so when you take you know away the comments that are at the bottom Mm -hmm. of the story or the wider context or the wider issue all this is is a great a community event, yeah. um, a groundbreaking one, really, because of the size of it. Mm-hmm. That is really just trying to bring people together for some fun. You know, it's really old school. It's like a, you know, it's it's a British tradition to have street parties.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You know,
2: so we're 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 bringing those not even two cultures, multiple cultures yeah. that we have in Bristol together in a kind of brilliant, fantastic melting pot of wonderful people and you know without being too gushing <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are points where you do this job where of course you have to take into consideration context and tensions and things that are going on at the moment as well and there is always things going on but sometimes you just have to think this is simply a great community event where people are trying their utmost to bring some unity and peacefulness to an area that hasn't always been un- united and peaceful, um, and they're celebrating the fact that they're finally getting somewhere, mm-hmm. and that is something for everyone in Bristol, regardless of whether where you're from in Bristol, uh, to to celebrate and enjoy. Yeah, and you'll be there. I'm going to be there. Yes, I've already had you know like a flavour of some of the food that's going to be there, and it's amazing. So <laughs> if you like food, uh, that's certainly incentive to to get down there um you know there's no obligation to stay i i will say it does start at 9 25 um i believe 9 25 p.m depending on on the on the moon and and when when the sun goes down because that's when you can break the fast it's a dawn to sunset w- in which they fast so um i have been told have something light but be hungry because there's going to be so much food to fill yourself up on so don't ruin your appetite
0: and i was i was actually you just made me think about one final question yeah. there because and it might sound really simple but for a lot of people taking part in these preparations they have been fasting and let's not forget fasting and they're, every day, they're yeah. preparing an awful lot of food I and mean, when you were talking with them Uh, this week did you ask them about you know i couldn't think of anything worse if i was trying to fast um and then preparing all of this amazing food i think i'd I'd cave i mean did they talk about that at all
2: they they didn't really but i mean it must be really hard but at the same time they are very dedicated to it and it's something i think possibly and i don't want to speak for them but you know they are a very tight-knit community and they probably help each other get through that mm-hmm. and it just goes to show their dedication really to throwing something like this that they would yeah be preparing all of this food for everyone not just their community but you know everyone from around bristol whilst you know fasting from from sunrise to sunset i would find that incredibly that difficult no and they've feet. they've been fasting since may the 17th um and yeah and that, and it'll be 30 days from, from then. So it is an incredible feat. And, and I think something that people don't realise as well is that nothing can pass the lips. So they can't drink any liquids or uh, any food. Um, one of my friends who I was in university with also said... Uh, the people within his community in Birmingham, I'm not sure if it's the same for everywhere, but they don't, you know, use lip seal or anything. It's nothing past the lips, so I mean, spare a thought for for yeah. for the community when you know when it's you know boiling hot and sunshine. There, it, it is incredible, but they do it for their faith and they do it for their culture, and you've you've got to respect that.
0: Well, thank you very much, Bronwyn Thank you. Well, that was uh, Bronwyn Weatherby, news reporter here at Bristol Live, talking us through the preparations that are going into what is going to be, or certainly promising to be, Bristol's biggest street party, and that's the Grand Iftar Celebration. So thank you to Bron. And now finally, our last guest on the show this afternoon, Esme Ashcroft. She is going to be popping in to talk to us about podcasts, which seems fitting. So let's dive into that now.
3: I mean, having only done two podcasts, I think it's the favourite part of my job now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's quickly escalated. It's, I
3: really love it. It's really... It's so fun. It really
0: is fun. Cool. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's quite all right. <laughs> and you are a bit of a seasoned vet when it comes to podcasts now. Ooh, In our I've,
3: I've just launched a podcast, so I don't know if that makes me a veteran. <laughs>
0: wow, well, and you've been on this one. You've been on Inside Bristol Live a, I a couple of times?
3: Well, once to bring a story, and once to sit in the hosting chair, which you are sat in, to ask Alex Ballinger oh, wow. the really, questions. I
0: really am under pressure. Then you've Tables been on both sides. Yeah, you've been on both sides mm. of the table. Um, so today you are here to talk all things podcast mm. on a podcast, on which a is great.
3: It's incredibly meta,
0: <laughs> and you have and you mentioned it just then. You've launched a podcast of your own here at Bristol Live. Yep. Do you want to tell us about it?
3: Yeah, sure. So it's called Never Mind the Ballots. It's a political podcast and we just talk about all the latest breaking local political news. So, for example, we've had this week the arena, we've had chief executive payments, metro bus, anything political which is happening right from tiny issues to great big regional ones. The format is we have, I kind of chair it, if you like, we have a councillor, so we're rotating through the political parties to give it, make sure it's nice and equal in the sense of fairness, and also then a second guest who is politically active or knows a lot about the political scene, maybe a charity worker or somebody involved in education, and we will just get around the table, sit down and chat for an hour.
0: Fantastic! And who yeah. you had on so far, then? Because I know it's only recently launched, but you've you've already had a couple of episodes.
3: So the first episode we had former mayor George Ferguson, very interesting and current cabinet housing lead Paul Smith. So that was very much focused on housing. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really interesting such detailed information about the history of social housing in Bristol. Things which is is quite hard to convey in a straight news article, you know, because it would take pages and pages. And unfortunately <laughs> people's attention those. span it does not <laughs> yes. last for pages and pages and pages. So this week's podcast, which came out yesterday, mm-hmm. we have the leader of the Conservative group, Mark Weston, and Tony Dyer, who has stood for the Green Party in several occasions in different elections, and is just very informed about Bristol politics.
0: Obviously, you're in and out of City Hall fairly frequently, mm. and you speak to these individuals, councillors, fairly regularly I would say for your stories. Yeah. What was the reaction like when you branded the idea that you were doing a podcast? Was the was there a lot of interest?
3: Yeah, I, do you know what? It's been received very well by people. That's good. <laughs> With counsellors, of course, they, they love to get on kind of radio and TV and talk about their points and get their agendas through. And um, yeah, I think it's been really well received. We've had lots of compliments so far. My main thrust is that it's informative and it can be used as kind of an interesting resource for people in the city and wider. If you're interested in Bristol,
0: absolutely. And Bristol politics in itself is, um, is what well, you can say, is exciting. It from is your exciting. Point of view. There's a Definitely. lot happening. And I mean, do readers do you think sometimes assume that because we're not, because we're local politics, uh, it's a city-based, you know, issues? You know, the assumption is that maybe it's not quite as exciting as what might be happening on a national agenda in Westminster or in Parliament, but there is actually lots going on here, which we cover, you cover, you know, day yeah. in, day out.
3: I think there is a very, um, there's a core group of people who are incredibly interested in Bristol politics. And, you know, they're quite regular faces at council meetings and things. So there's a really strong following. And and then you perhaps have a slightly wider ring of people who find it interesting and you know, if their bin collection changes,
1: mm-hmm.
3: they will take a uh, note and be perhaps a little bit cross or happy. So I think you get, a, there's two tiers of people. But with the podcast, what we're hoping for is that it's interesting for everyone. Mm-hmm. So you can dip in and out different conversations each week. And it's just another way of accessing news because the way people access news now, their habits change so much. You know, it used to be every single person would get the evening post as it was then mm-hmm. on their doormat. But paper sales have declined. There's no denying that. We have a website, which hopefully everybody is going to and have the app. But we're, this podcast is just another string to that bow to allow people a different way of accessing local political news because it is important. It affects, it's not an over exaggeration to say it affects every single person in the city. Absolutely. In we're some way or form.
0: All council taxpayers, essentially. Whether council it's Bristol taxpayers, City council or
3: services, bin <laughs> collections, it's everything.
0: And, so, and you alluded to it there, the changes in the industry and mm. the way that we as an organisation have evolved from paper. Well, we are still producing the paper, but we are a digital first newsroom, as it were. And that now involves podcasts. But mm. we're not the only newsroom who have turned to podcasts. Um, I mean, you listen to some podcasts in your own Personal time as well, which you're happy to share with us, if yeah. if you, you were like. But just quickly, what why why are we seeing this trend that more organisations now turn to podcasts or use podcasts to communicate with readers?
3: I think it's it's the way that consumer habits have changed and the way people. I mean, I guess I would look back at perhaps my parents, they would maybe sit down of an evening and, and read the paper. I, I don't know people who do that. I'm 28 nearly and <laughs> um, I don't know anyone my age who buys papers. Just the way people access news has changed and we're on the go a lot more. Everyone has a smartphone pretty much and on that has podcasting abilities. So if you're on the bus, on the train, I mean, how frequently do you see people with headphones in? Absolutely. it's just the way that people want to access news now and that's how the industry has evolved is my personal take on it
0: mm-hmm. and is there any podcast, news podcast that you listen to or do you once you're out of the office and well, try to not look at your phone or emails do you try and just get out I of that bubble
3: I listen to a variety, so I listen to the Guardian one, the Mirror has one which I listen to um, in terms of politics, mm-hmm. but I like comedy, so <laughs> I listen to quite a lot of, um, my dad wrote a porno, it, that uh, podcast yes, yeah. I love, it has me on my knees because it's so funny, Um I listen to This American Life, which is very interesting, it's serial, absolute classic, you can't beat mm-hmm, that. Yeah. So I've got quite a variety of podcasts to take tastes. Yeah. I also, I'm an avid fan of The Archers, not technically a podcast, but you can subscribe. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Listen to that every day. So yeah, podcasting has definitely taken over in kind of my life in terms of what I do when I'm listening to things just around the house.
0: Yeah. So when there was an opportunity perhaps to bring that into the murky world of Bristol politics, was that something you were quite keen to uh, definitely
3: Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I just... I think you can get quite an honest conversation from somebody if you get them around a table, you know, 20 minutes in, ooh, less than 10 minutes in, you kind of forget the mics are there and hopefully they open up in a way which is slightly different to if you shove a camera in their face. Yeah. So and it, I think it's also it's nice to be able to hear people's personalities mm-hmm. in a way which you can't really reflect on the page in the written word. No, absolutely. So I think it Offers quite a lot of different elements to people, as opposed to a traditional mm-hmm. newspaper article.
0: And do you think the the actual issues you're discussing, you can get in, get your teeth into a bit more? Like you said, in Bristol, Reno, if you're talking about housing, you can actually really sort of take it apart and look at it in different ways that you can't in a 400 word story. That you might yeah, traditionally have been. I think
3: to. it just offers a little bit more of um, an in-depth analysis. And especially if you had someone, so if I go back to the first episode and Paul Smith, who's the housing lead, his knowledge on social housing in Bristol is so deep and detailed that when you listen to it, you really feel like, or I personally felt like I really learned something from it. So I think it offers that slightly more in-depth look, perhaps, which you can't get from as you say a 400 word news article yeah
0: which traditionally we would have been limited, yeah limited exactly by.
3: when we wrote to pages and boxes back in the day mm.
0: uh and so i mean maybe it's early days but you've obviously got two episodes mm-hmm. under your belt um is this part of a series have you got sort of long-term plans that you can tell us about
3: yes yeah, so the first series is six episodes long it's a bit of a jumping off point just to gauge the reaction, the kind of dip our toes into the water. <laughs> so far, so good. We've had some really positive feedback. At the moment, we're planning perhaps three series a year, but these could be extended slightly. So it's a bit of a uh, movable feast at the moment. But yeah, I really am excited to be doing it and I thoroughly enjoy it. And I hope people thoroughly enjoy listening.
0: And, t- and when does it come out each week? Because obviously Inside Bristol Live, is it, is it comes out on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do when does Never Nevermind the Ballots come out?
3: It comes out at one minute past midnight on Thursday mornings, so Thursdays essentially. You can rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe by going on to wherever your podcast provider is. So if you subscribe, it lands in your little your little kind of inbox every week, yeah. so you don't have to faff around. You don't have to worry can, about looking for it. Yeah, you just think, hey, it's Thursday, it's Never Nevermind the Balance day. I will give it a listen.
0: As well as ours on the Friday. Of course, as well as ours on the Friday. All of your Bristol news and politics.
3: I mean, yeah, the aim, I guess, is to have one every day and just fully tune people (laughs) into Bristol Live.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very (laughs) much, Esme.
3: Thanks for your time. No, thank you.
0: And that there was Esme Ashcroft talking to us all about podcasts and why they're so important to our readers now in the modern day media industry. That's it. For episode nine of Inside Bristol Live, thank you very much. If you've been listening along all the way through, we really do appreciate it. Of course, you can rate, you can review and you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts from. If you liked it or you didn't like it, feel free to join in on the conversation on Twitter. You can find us at IBL podcast, or you can even find me personally at Mr. Alex Wood. Final note from me, because this is my one and only debut uh, hosting the podcast. I have enjoyed it, but uh, your regular host, Alex Ballinger, will be back from his holiday next week. So join us then. But that's it from me. Thank you very much. Goodbye.